You're listening to the podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a church in Gloucester, England. We come now to our sermon text and to continue with our um, studies in the book of 1 Timothy and reading this morning from verse 12 to verse 20, Paul's first letter to Timothy. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory for ever and ever. Amen. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Well, may God bless the reading and the preaching of his word for us this morning. Well, the Apostle Paul, as he writes to Timothy, is deeply concerned about the state of the church, particularly concerned about the state of the church after after his own, when, when he comes to die, he's an old man, he's coming to die, and what will, what will happen to this church in Ephesus? In, uh, in the book of Acts, he said that after I'm gone, um, savage wolves will rise up to destroy the flock of Christ. So he's deeply concerned about the state of the church, and therefore sending Timothy to, to the church to teach true doctrine and to oppose those who, uh, those who oppose it, these teachers of the law that we were thinking about last week. So there's this deep concern about the state of the church in the Apostle Paul, but also this deep confidence in the mercy and the strength of Jesus Christ. So he's calling Timothy to this very difficult situation. We think our situation in the church today is difficult, surrounded by uh, false teaching and all that's going on in our nation. Well, Timothy faced this intensely difficult situation. And Paul said, look, stay there. And what he wants to do in this letter is encourage Timothy that uh, he has all the resources he needs in Christ Jesus. He wants Timothy to look to Christ and to find his strength 
in Christ, just as Paul has done in, in all his difficulties. So there's, there's much for us to learn here about what a faithful gospel ministry looks like. Uh, important lessons, particularly for pastors. These are the pastoral epistles. But as we saw last time, these are letters for the whole church. As much uh, for all of us here who are called to follow Christ and live out the Christian life uh, during challenging days. Well, the text uh, that we've had read breaks into those two sections as it's broken up uh, on your bulletin. There's this first section where we see Paul is, is thankful to Christ and for the, for the mercy of Christ. And then in that second section, he repeats his, his charge to Timothy to wage the good warfare. And these two sections, they're, they're connected together. Timothy needs to know the, the grace of Christ and the mercy of Christ in order to wage that good warfare warfare. So that, that's the, the connection there. So we're just going to simply look through these verses. First section, his thankfulness to Christ. Verse 12, I thank him who's given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. He'd called Paul, do you remember, to be the, um, the apostle to the Gentiles, the instrument through whom God would take the gospel message, the goodness of Jesus to the Gentiles. Paul had this high and noble assignment. And he does not hide, Paul does not hide his former life. He says, he's called me to this ministry, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. Paul is open about his former life, his life before he knew Christ. And he needs to do that because uh, in Ephesus, there'd be many who, who would be prone to uh, dismiss Paul as a second-rate apostle. You know, hadn't he been a violent persecutor of the church? They would want to dismiss Paul and therefore feel that they could dismiss Timothy. And, of course, there's many in the church today who would want to dismiss the apostle Paul, sort of say something like, well, I love the Lord Jesus and the teaching of Jesus, but we don't really like Paul. He's that evil genius who sort of pervert, changed the, the pure and simple gospel of Jesus. But, in, so in Paul's time, he, there were those in Ephesus who would have uh, thought of him as a second-rate apostle, and he uh, uh, might have used this against him, his former life, and so he is open about this, um, his former life. And he's open, he'd been this persecutor of the church. And, um, and, and he's very open about it. We find this again and again in the book of Acts, um, how he speaks of this. So in Acts 22, he's, he says this, I persecuted this way, like the, the, Christian, um, the Christian gospel, to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. In one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in Christ. Remember, Jesus had said uh, to Saul, Saul, so why do you persecute me? So, so Saul had attacked Christians, attacked the precious body of Christ. Um, and he never, he never forgot that. He was a blasphemer, a, a persecutor. And verse 12, an insolent opponent and these, these two words translate a single word in the original, the, the root of which is hubris. It's the kind of arrogance that overflows in violence towards others. Paul had been an, an arrogant man on a self-righteous campaign, and in that, dealing out violence to those around him. 
He'd been this violent, angry man, thinking he was doing the right thing. And he's open about that. And he says this, but, but I received mercy. Here was a man who had received mercy. And he says, because I'd, I'd acted ignorantly and in, in unbelief, he'd received mercy. And there's in one sense in which Paul didn't even know uh, what he was doing. He was sinning against God. But at one level, he didn't really know what he was doing. I remember Christ praying on the cross, Father, forgive, they don't know what they're doing. There was a sense in which Paul was engaged in this life, um, and there was, there was a degree of ignorance and unbelief in that, um, and he receives uh, mercy. And so Paul, as he's there in a world of wickedness and bad characters and bad actors around him in Ephesus and in the ancient world, perhaps those who violently persecute the church, uh, he never forgets that mercy has received him. And so perhaps he thinks, well, the mercy of Christ can receive others as well. And he speaks of this. He says, the grace of our Lord overflowed for me. There was this hyperabundance of mercy. This is uh, grace abounding to the chief of sinners, overflowing Mercy kind of pressed down and running over. Mercy just stacked up on, on top of each other with a bit more mercy poured over the top for good measure. This is the kind of mercy that Paul had received. His sins were, were stacked up to heaven, and perhaps we sometimes we're convicted of sins. We think our sins are, are just stacked up high, or, or we think of the, the sins of our nation stacked up high. Well, God is filled with mercy. We see his mercy is super abundant. It is stacked up high with mercy upon mercy, and on top of that, some more mercy. He deserved dishonour. He deserved to be set aside, cast aside. He received honour and this position of honour, this assignment. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus, our Lord, overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And I think the faith and love here actually refer to the faith and love which now mark Paul. He'd formerly been uh, marked by anger and rage. Now in Christ, he is characterized by faith and love. The same, same expression comes up in 2 Timothy 1.13, where he's uh, speaking, charging Timothy, says, follow the pattern of sound words, which you've heard from me, with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So those who've received mercy are to now to act in faith and love. And then at the heart of it, he says, um, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. So what had happened to, to Paul, uh, this great rescue that God had done to a man who was a bad man, a violent man, that was not a one-off, was not a fluke. This was the very reason that Christ Jesus has come into the world. He's come into the world for the purpose of saving sinners of whom I am the worst. Um, and sin, sinners, sin here is defined, as we saw last week, by, by the law of God. God exists and has revealed his standard of good and um, what is his, his righteous standard of perfect holiness. Uh, and in the light of God's law, we all fall short and part of Paul's ministry and part of what he was uh, urging Timothy to do was uh, to, to a proper teaching of the, the law of God, a proper exposition 
of God's law so that sin might be exposed and um, sin might be held to account. Uh, so he brings there, as well, he brings the hammer of God's word to reveal sin, and our own sin is, is exposed as God's law is expounded. Um, but the reason he does that is to magnify uh, the grace of Jesus Christ, the one who came into the world to save sinners, the one who bore the penalty for sin uh, by dying on the cross for sinners. He came into the world to save sinners. And he came to save sinners. He didn't, Christ Jesus didn't come into the world to, to try to save sinners, to make an attempt to save sinners. He actually came into the world with the purpose of saving sinners, and he will do it. And so Paul now, he's lifted up as this display of the patience and mercy of Jesus Christ. Verse 16, I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. So Paul here is, is lifted up as a display of God's mercy. And Augustine here has got a, a nice um, picture um, to help us think about this. He, he, he says this, he says, well, imagine a, imagine a doctor comes to a particular community or a particular city, and, um, and he wants to make his services known, his, his, his practice known. And uh, so he finds that the, the man with the hardest, most incurable, most bad, worst disease, and then acts to completely heal this man. And then this, this man is healed and he's held up and an as an example and a comfort and encouragement to everyone else in that city and the community and think, well, if this doctor has healed that man, perhaps I will go to him. Perhaps I will go with my sin. Perhaps uh, he can heal me too. So Paul has been raised up here as an example uh, of the, the great physician of Jesus Christ who came into the world to save sinners. And so we can come to him with our sin. Um, it, if, you, if you labor and you're troubled by your sin, come to Jesus Christ. He's come into the world to save sinners. If, if you find that you, you, you're, you're angry and arrogant and proud, well, come to Jesus Christ. He can save sinners. He came into the world to save sinners. And the, well, the apostle to the nations, the Gentiles, stands as, as this great example to us. So Paul, in his ministry, he acted and taught with all humility. He was not a, a proud man. He'd been thoroughly humbled by the mercy and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he breaks out in verse 17 with, with worship. Verse 17, he worships God. He says, to the king of the ages, immortal, it is undying. God is undying, invisible, the only God be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. He lifts his eyes to God, the Father, enthroned on high, the great undying uh, God who's hid from our eyes, yet the one who made himself visible in Christ, who entered our world and came down to save sinners, the one who dealt with such mercy in the Apostle Paul's life. And, uh, and don't we, as we read these words, uh, we're... we're we're invited to worship with Paul um, and bring our praise to the King of the Ages, the one who saves sinners. 
A similar words. So Paul does some, sometimes does this, isn't he? In the middle of his letters, he breaks out in worship. Think of Romans 11.33, where he says, um, speaking of, of God's sovereign plan, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. So in the midst of this difficult situation that Paul faced and the difficult situation which he's saying to Timothy, look, stay in Ephesus. He knows that all these things are in the hands of the God, the immortal, invisible God, the king of the ages, to whom is glory that God is at work in the world. And so that mercy which Paul experienced and was so precious to him, that patience which Christ held out to him, that very same patience is held out for you. And you think of your own former life, or your spiritual life, uh, many things we can look back on and be ashamed of, uh, many things perhaps we can look back on even when we have been believers that we might be ashamed of. But let us never forget the mercy of Jesus Christ. You might be looking at your own situation and, and looking to the future and think, well, how can I carry on? How can I stay at my post? Well, do not forget the mercy of Jesus Christ. How is it that I can stand up here week by week and open up the scriptures and preach the gospel? Well, I can only do that because of the mercy of Jesus Christ. And what will we say to each other in the presence of a holy God on the last day when Christ has returned with the saints in glory, when we look around and we say, well, what are, what are you doing here? Why are you here? Well, what is the only answer to that? The only answer to that is, I'm here because of the mercy of Christ. Paul magnifies the mercy of Christ, and when he thinks of his own life and his own sin, that causes him to, to magnify Christ, and that should cause us, as a congregation here, to magnify Christ, and also to, to hold out Christ, that our own lives are an example not of an example of our own righteousness or how great we are at church planting, but Lord willing, an example of the mercy of Jesus Christ to those who are in such need of him in our world today. And so here, Paul, in this first section, he gives thanks to Christ, he magnifies Christ, he, he lifts up the, the mercy of Christ. Uh, but the reason he's doing it is he's got this charge for Timothy, this hard assignment that Timothy is on and that he needs to encourage and strengthen Timothy in. So we come to this last section from verse 18. His charge to Timothy. This charge I entrust you, Timothy, uh, my child, um, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Paul entrusts this charge, care of the church, to, to Timothy. He's been given this charge of defending the gospel, teaching the gospel, teaching uh, the law of God in a, in a lawful manner, showing forth Christ, opposing and stopping false teaching of the law. And he's there, this is tough assignment, and he needs to draw continually on the strength of Christ and the mercy of Christ. So he charges and encourages Timothy as his true child. There's this contrast in 1 Timothy between the true and genuine ministers of the gospel and those who are <clears throat> playing at it, the false 
as it were, ministers of the gospel, these teachers of the law who are not following the apostolic pattern of ministry. Uh, Paul also reminds Timothy of the, <clears throat> the prophecies which were made about him. Um, now, in, in Acts 13, we see that there are prophecies about Paul and Barnabas when they are sent off uh, to ministry. So that says so that the Holy Spirit said through these prophets, set apart Paul and Barnabas to the work to which I had called them. So there's a prophecy about them. Now, we don't hear anything in Acts about particular prophets speaking about Timothy, but here it seems that there had been this uh, a word from prophets setting apart Timothy for, for ministry, something similar to that. And we find in this foundational period of the church, you have apostles and prophets, as we're thinking about in, in the book of Ephesians. And Timothy, as it were, has one foot in this apostolic era of apostles and prophets, and one foot in the post-apostolic era, and, and the pastoral epistles are sort of a bridge between the two. They're preparing the church for this post-apostolic uh, season, but in which we now live. But he, like Paul and Barnabas, are set apart through this prophetic word. Now, in, in the, in the post-apostolic time in which we live, we ministers of the gospel are still set apart by the Holy Spirit, uh, the God through the Spirit still calls ministers and raises them up uh, in his church, but works through the ordinary means uh, of the church. It's still, nevertheless, the Spirit who sets people, ministers aside for ministry and, and elders, deacons, and all the offices of the church. But Timothy, basically, he needed to remember that his call to ministry uh, was God's gift. <laughs> That's the point of it. He needed to know when he's there in Ephesus and life was tough and it was difficult, that God had called him there, that God had set him there, that by them you may wage the good warfare. And Paul comes in with this, this military metaphor, speaking of uh, that which is carried out by a soldier. There's two different phrases. At the end of the letter he says, fight the good fight. It's actually a different phrase, but the fight the good fight phrase relates to the, the word for, Greek word for uh, agony, ag agonizo, this sort of difficult struggle. Well, this one, wage the good warfare, relates to, to the word uh, to do with the soldier, strategy, strategy, but it's all related to this battle. Um, so the idea is this, this ministry that Timothy have, will have in Ephesus will be demanding and difficult filled with toil and unpleasantness. Um, and there was Timothy, perhaps he thought that the work of a, a minister was a, sort of a nice indoor job with no heavy lifting and something like that. Well, here he was, finding that it's a, a difficult and tough assignment. And that is the work of, of, of ministry and preaching of the gospel. If we're doing it right, it should be a hard and demanding task for which ministers uh, and church leaders greatly need the mercy of Christ to strengthen them. And so this is, uh, he's calling him to wage that good warfare and holding faith and a good conscience. Now holding faith, I think he's talking about holding on to the faith, the content of Christian doctrine, and the, the good conscience there. Timothy needs to carry out his task knowing in his conscience that he is serving with pure motives and not for impure motives, selfish gain or the love of, of applause of men or, or some such thing. And so there's this contrast here with the teachers of the law 
who have swerved from these, swerved from right doctrine, but also swerved from having this good conscience. Our conscience is that God-given faculty which tells us uh, what is right and wrong. It needs to be educated by God's word, but we have a, this inbuilt conscience by virtue of the fact we're made in God's image, and our, our conscience then needs to be educated by God's word. But it's possible, isn't it, to ignore the warnings of our conscience. It's a bit like when you're, if you're driving along, and sometimes you have those lights which come on the dashboards, and they're warning lights, aren't they? And a few come on, you never quite know what they mean. The manuals in the back of the car, but they're warning like that something is wrong. And you can keep driving, you can sort of ignore them and you get three or four and think, well, I ought to do something about that. Well, these are the, the warnings of, of conscience which pop up and convict that uh, we are not living as we should, that our motives are impure. Um, and these teachers, um, amongst them Hymenaeus and Alexander, it's as if they've just driven along and ignoring all the warnings of conscience. They've carried on in public ministry. Um, not only is the content of their doctrine they're veering off, but they're then doing this with this impure conscience. They've carried on, and they've ultimately made shipwreck of their faith. And it's terrifying, isn't it? We can think of instances of, of high-profile Christian teachers sailing along, and all seems to be well, but then shipwreck is made. We discover some great moral failure or something and doctrinal, doctrinally goes awry. And uh, there's this sudden shipwreck. Well, then, early along in their ministry, they would have been ignoring the calls of conscience. So, Timoth uh, so Paul is calling Timothy to elsewhere. He says, watch your life and doctrine closely, that you might save yourself and your hearers. So this thing about these other teachers, Hymenaeus and Alexander, they function partly as a, as a warning for Timothy um, and a warning for Christian ministers. And so uh, he says they've been shipwrecked of their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander. He actually uh, names them. Uh, they would have been known. You could sort of think there would be this perhaps sharp intake of breath of, of the congregation as he names these people who uh, he doesn't just mention sin. He names particular sinful people. And he says, those whom I've handed over to Satan that they may not learn to blaspheme. Now, what, what is this about? Well, this is referring to, uh, church, to church discipline, ultimately referring to excommunication. There's a parallel in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 5, where he's um, using this terminology of handing someone over to Satan uh, for a case of church discipline, where someone is continuing in an immoral lifestyle and the church aren't doing anything about it, and Paul instructs the leadership of the church that this man ought to be ultimately handed over to Satan, i.e. put outside the fellowship of the church, which is an extreme measure after many, much pleading and much calls, many calls for repentance. But ultimately, uh, that, that is what would be to happen to Hymenaeus and Alexander. But there was this, this purpose um, which was restorative, ultimately, that they might learn not to blaspheme. So they ultimately put out of the fellowship of the church that they might then come to their senses. So Paul here is not content to, to see the church um, with sin abounding in it and then actually the minister of the, of the gospel not dealing with uh, sin. And the implication is that Timothy will, in Ephesus, 
his own ministry will have to involve confronting sin in this way and dealing with it, perhaps dealing with those difficult church discipline uh, cases. So there's a lot here about the, the mercy of Christ. And you might think, well, this, this talk of handing people over to Satan and putting them out, that doesn't really sound like the mercy of Christ. But it is, it's a severe mercy which doesn't let uh, people continue in self-deception and in sin, thinking that they can hold on to their sin and remain in, um, remain in fellowship with the church, thinking they can hold on to their sin and that they'll be fine on the day of judgment. We're called to, to repentance, and uh, it is that the mercy of Christ is bound up with this area of, of church discipline. Well, much to, to sort of think about, just even on the back of that verse, which, uh, Lord willing, we'll have a chance to do uh, in the future. So it finishes this section really on, on a sober note, and you do get the idea that Timothy is he's there in 1 Timothy. In Ephesus, he is going to be up against it, and he really does need the mercy and strength of Jesus Christ. So as we draw these things to a close, what, what do we see? Well, there's two, uh, two main things. We see this great apostolic concern for the state of the church, which involves his concern that, that the Lord would raise up a godly ministry of the word and, and putting aside and dealing with false teachers. So this great concern for that, for the state of the church, um, and so that should be our concern, and it should feature regularly in our, our public prayers as we pray for the church and for the local churches that God might raise up the faithful ministry, that he might bless the ministry here and strengthen us. Um, but also we just see this apostolic confidence in the mercy and strength of Jesus Christ. Paul had learned this. He'd learned the mercy of Christ. He'd learned what it meant to trust Christ through intensely difficult situations. But what was it that strengthened Paul? What would strengthen Timothy in the difficult callings they had received? It was the mercy of Jesus Christ, the strength of Christ, as Christ himself strengthened them by the Spirit. And that was then to be this great display of the mercy of Christ for others. So Timothy could go forward in his ministry in that difficult context. He might be tempted as he looked at the state of the church or looked at the state of the nation to despair. But where was he to look? He was to look to Jesus Christ. Um, and where are we to look? We might be tempted to despair as we look at the state of the church in Great Britain or look at the state of the, uh, the, the nation or look at the state of the West. Where are we to look? We are to look to the risen, exalted Jesus Christ, to his mercy that he came in to the world to save sinners, that he rose again from the dead, and we are to continue in worship through these days in which we live, to bring our worship and praise to the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God to whom is glory and honour forever and ever. Amen. You've been listening to the Sermon Podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church. You can find us out online at gloucesterpres, that's P-R-E-S, dot co, dot U-K.